Good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 3. If you're following along in the Chairback Bible, that's page 400, or actually we'll be on page 399 and move to page 400 during the reading of the text this morning. The title of the sermon is Laboring Together for God's Fame. And I think what we see in the book of Nehemiah is we see a man who is zealous for God's name to be exalted among the nations. He wants to see God highly lifted up and he is longing for God's people to be able to come and to worship him with, uh, with great excitement and, and, and come and, and spend time in God's presence. He's longing for the city of Jerusalem to have the walls rebuilt around it. And he's got this great vision and mission that, that God himself has placed on Nehemiah's heart. And so Nehemiah is in the thick of it. He's traveled back to Jerusalem. He's left the palace in Persia where he was the king's cupbearer. And he goes to Jerusalem and he's leading a, a bunch of people that are, that are in great distress, experiencing great shame and great trouble. And he's leading them to rebuild the walls around the city. And the book of Nehemiah teaches us about God's faithfulness teaches us about God's working in the midst of his community in order to do a great work to proclaim his name and to bring the fame of his name among the nations. And so we're studying Nehemiah in order that we might see how the building up of the walls in the city around Jerusalem parallels the building up of the spiritual house of God in the church today. And really, the, the kind of the key statement I, I want us to kind of drive home with today is that God will do this. God will build His church on the foundation of Christ through the unified community of saints. God will build His church on the foundation of Christ through the unified community of saints. And so as we go through the text this morning, I want to begin by making some observations from chapter 3, and we'll spend most of our time this morning in chapter 4. But let me say, by way of also introduction, that in chapter 3, we're tempted to approach it and see it as simply a historical catalog of all of the events that were going on during the rebuilding of the wall. But I think it communicates to us much more than that. And so before we go any further, let us pray and then we'll, we'll read from the text. Let us pray. Father, as we approach your word this morning, we ask that you would open our eyes to see the truth of your word. And God, we pray that you would illuminate our minds to comprehend the truth of your word. And by your Holy Spirit, we ask, Lord, that you would sear your word into our hearts so that it would take deep root in our lives and would be fruit-bearing through our lives. And Lord, we ask this morning as well, for me, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first 
point I, I want us to see this morning as we skim through chapter 3 is advancing God's kingdom requires unity of God's people. Advancing God's kingdom requires unity of God's people. And we see this even in the beginning, reading from just verses 1 through 5 in chapter 3. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred and as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Emery, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezebel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Baana, repaired. And next to them... The Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Let us not forget that the city of Jerusalem was in dire straits. The surviving exiles were in great trouble. They were experiencing shame and derision. And the wall of Jerusalem had been broken down and the gates had been burned by fire. And the work that Nehemiah had been called by God to undertake was a massive rebuilding effort as they sought to rebuild the city walls. And so in chapter 3, we see that's exactly what's happening. They're rebuilding the city walls, and you could walk through all 31 verse, 32 verses of chapter 3, and we will see a catalog of events where this group is working on this portion of the wall, and this group is working on this portion of the wall, and this group is working on this portion of the wall. One of the things we see as each group is working on their own portion of the wall is that it takes the entire community to be engaged in the work of rebuilding the walls. In other words, it takes the entire community to be engaged in advancing the kingdom of God. Nehemiah rallied the people to put their hands to good work. In chapter 2, verse 18, he goes to them, and after he's, he, after he's inspected the whole city and everything, he says, I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And he says in verse 18, So they strengthened their hands for the good work. I want us to see this morning, that if we at Crosspoint are serious about advancing the kingdom of God, it will take a unified effort of all of us putting our hands to good work, the good work that God is calling us to do and to engage in. A few weeks ago, we looked at the importance of faithfully stewarding the gifts that God has given us in our lives and, and given to the body of Christ. We saw that from 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 10 and 11, write it down and go back and look at it later. Verse 10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And from 1 Peter 2, we saw how we individually, as the people of God, are spiritual stones. We are, in fact, living stones being built up into a spiritual house to offer as a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God. They're acceptable through Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want us to see as we look at 
as we look at chapter 3 and kind of see the overview here, advancing God's kingdom requires unity of God's people, which means it requires a, a, a corporate and communal work of engaging together in spreading the gospel, of engaging together in living life and encouraging one another and holding one another accountable. You see, Christianity isn't a spectator sport. It's not like going to an LSU game and seeing 90,000 people in the stands watching 22 players play on the football field. That's not what Christ has called us to. Christ has called us all to be in the game, so to speak. So we all have a part to play. We all have a section in the wall to build in accomplishing God's plan, in accomplishing and advancing God's kingdom. And the reality is, without each of us playing the part that God has called us to, we will struggle to advance God's kingdom. The 80-20 rule ought not apply to the church that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. No, let us all seek and endeavor to engage in ministry. Why? For God's glory and for no other reason. Let us seek to labor together for God's fame in this city, and among the nations. The second observation I'd like to make from chapter 3 is this. Unity in purpose allows us to celebrate and embrace the diversity of God's people. You know, the task of rebuilding the wall was huge. It would take all the people engaging, giving all of their effort If you count through chapter 3, you'll see that there are 41 different sections of the wall that were being built almost simultaneously. The workers gathered by various groups to carry out God's work before them. Some worked as family units. Others worked by towns. Verse uh, chapter, uh, verse 5 and verse 7 and verse 13 and verse 14 show us the different towns that were involved in the work. Some were working according to crafts. Verse 8 tells us that there were goldsmiths and perfumers that were working together on sections of the wall. Some were grouped by trade. You've got merchants in verse 31. Some were grouped by callings. You've got the priests Chapter uh, verse 1 and verse 21 and verse 28. You've got the Levites working together in verse 17. Temple servants were working together in verse 26. The district officers in verses 9 and 12 and 15 through 17. In verse 12, one man even employed his daughters in the work. Got different groups. All of them from different walks of life. Gathered around one common task of rebuilding the wall. They're small groups of people carrying out their part in the mission. Their objective, their objective was to build this wall, make it secure, and reach to the next point where the others have begun building. Their objective was to do their part in advancing God's kingdom and to see it as a portion of the whole. And in so doing, they were contributing to the work of the whole body. You know, this applies directly to us today. As we think about our common task of advancing the kingdom of God, 
As we think about various small groups maybe that meet and, and take part in the ministry of Crosspoint. We all need to see the importance of our part in, in engaging in the work of advancing God's kingdom. From home groups to, to women's Bible studies that meet outside of, outside of service. To Sunday morning Bible studies. Disciple groups that meet. Groups of men or groups of women that are, that are meeting independently of, 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 of others. And, and they're coming together for accountability and growing together. Small groups that meet, such as ESL, to do ministry in the midst of, of people to affect gospel change in people's lives. A food pantry ministry, or, or maybe the miscarriage ministry, or children's Sunday school teachers working together to equip and to teach our children. From preschool ministry, to, uh, to the Mother's Day Out ministry, to our Sunday evening uh, mission friends ministry. Everywhere in between, there are, there are multiple groups and multiple people plugging in and using their gifts to serve the kingdom of God, and to advance God's kingdom. And all of us come together to carry out the stated purpose of the church. And that stated purpose is to advance God's kingdom. We must labor together to make God's name known throughout the city and among the nations. And so we are to be unified in purpose. And in doing that, we celebrate even the diversity that, that we have in this room, we come together for one specific reason, to worship Christ our King. And it is Him that unifies us. It's Christ who unifies us. Why? Because He has transformed our lives and He has given us hope. He's forgiven us of the sin that we've even confessed this morning, but He has forgiven us of the sin that would forever bar us from His presence. And He has called us into His family. And he has given us eternal life. And we have a great unity in faith because of that. The third observation I want to quickly make is seeing the big picture helps us to bear one another's burdens. We see this in chapter 3 as they labor beside one another. Listen, they are bearing each other's burdens. I think we see it modeled, especially in the contrast of verse 5 and verse 27 in verse 5. Read that with me. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Now, fast forward to verse 27. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Oakville. See what's happening there? There were some among the Tekoites who didn't want to participate and didn't want to help. In fact, there always seems to be that person or maybe even that group of people who are unwilling to commit and unwilling to engage and join in the work. They have criticism about everything. They, and so we say, meet the nobles of Tekoa, verse 5. They didn't want to join in the work. They, they had criticism about it. They weren't ready to, to plug in and to serve and to do their part in helping to reconstruct the wall. But we see in verse 27, there were some men from Tekoite, the Tekoites men. There were some who even took it upon themselves to go to a second place in the wall and, and pour, their, pour their hearts, pour their labor into helping to build up the wall. So I want us to see that helping others when it's convenient and rewarding isn't a bad thing. But risking one's life and own comfort to assist others is God-honoring and sacrificial. 
And so if we just skim over chapter 3, we might be tempted to brush it off as a historical narrative and just giving us a catalog of facts of what was happening. But you see, it's, it's much more than that. Each name we have here represents a whole host of, of other names. What we read about here is people sacrificing time and enduring hardship for the good of others. And in doing so, they're bearing one another's burdens. Hear me out, church. This is the gospel truth that Scripture calls us to as the church, to bear one another's burdens, to labor alongside of each other. Second, 1 Corinthians 10.24 says, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Or Galatians 6.2, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, this is the reality. They're working to rebuild the wall. They are engaging in the work of rebuilding. But I want you to see this from chapter 4. When God's people seek to do God's work, God's way, opposition will arise. And that's what happens in chapter 4. In verses 1 through 3, we see Sanballat and Tobiah. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Now when Sanballat heard, that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned out ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he'll break it down. He'll break down their stone wall. You see, the work of restoration invites opposition. What happens here is it begins with ridicule. The ultimate issue or struggle is found in the righteous conviction of Nehemiah, who is one who has come to seek the well-being of the city of, of the Jews. God's servant Nehemiah is the righteous servant versus the unrighteous position of Sanballat and Tobiah. Sanballat and Tobiah want to use intimidation and, and mocking in an attempt to unravel the work of the Jews in building the wall. They're wicked men. They want to exploit the Jews for their own selfish gain. Their religious persecution asking, are they going to sacrifice? In other words, are they going to, to pray up the walls? That's their only hope. Will they finish in a day? They have no idea what they're undertaking. You see, Nehemiah prays in verses 4 and 5. And God hears the prayer of the faithful who are mocked and who are despised. Ultimately, the prayer that he, he gives in verses 4 and 5 is, is a prayer for God to arise and to defend his cause. It's a harsh prayer. It sounds harsh anyway. Verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt. And let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Nehemiah knows that Sanballat and Tobiah's agenda cannot be reconciled with God's agenda. And so he hands them over to God, and his prayer is for God to defend his cause. 
Nehemiah is a man who's zealous for the advancement of God's kingdom. And God's justice against Tobiah and Sanballat may result in their salvation. But hear this. If they continue in unrepented sin and opposition against God and his people, God's justice will result in their condemnation. And that's a warning for us today, is it not? That if we continue in unrepentant sin in our own lives, we begin to question, where are our hearts in all of this? When we see people come up against the kingdom of God and come up and speak against the church and speak in opposition against God's work, know this, beloved. Know that God is faithful. And just know that when the work of God is happening in the midst of his people, opposition is going to occur. Nehemiah was seeking the welfare of the city. He was seeking the welfare of God's people. Sanballat and Tobiah were only seeking their own welfare. And they knew that if the wall was built, their own selfish agendas would be thwarted. And so they result, resorted to ridicule. I think this is the first place people go to when they're trying to insult or discourage the work of the gospel going into the lives of others. The work of the church, we, we begin hearing people ridicule the work that's going on. So friends like Nehemiah, Christians today are to be to, 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 to lead out and, and be vocal in the community and seeking the welfare of the city and standing up for the weak and the vulnerable within the city. And as the gospel transforms our lives, it causes us to seek restoration within the communities that we live. It causes us to seek for justice in our vocations. We, above all, must be a people who do cultural exegesis. That means we study the culture, we know the culture around us, and we seek to bring the gospel light into the culture in which we live, into the vocations in which we work, into the homes in which we live, into the communities in which we live. One of the great ways to do that is to be involved in the homeowners association. I said the dirty word, right? We we give of our time. As citizens of the kingdom of God, as foreigners and exiles in this land, we are taking the gospel and we are displaying it for the world to see. This is the hope of Christ within us. And this is the mission of the church. We as brothers and sisters in faith ought to be encouraging one another to engage in this type of reformation. Know that we will face opposition. So here's a question. How do we engage in this type of reformation? I think by living and telling of the gospel. By living and telling of the gospel. Because when the gospel intercepts a person's life, transformation happens. Not because of our words. It's because of the power of God. Only the gospel transforms. You and I can't transform anybody, but the gospel will transform the hearts and the lives of people. Let us be faithful to speak and to tell others and to live out the gospel. Nehemiah is encouraging the people, don't lose heart. God, I call upon you for your faithfulness. Let me be faithful in proclaiming the gospel. 
Next, I want you to see that when God's work through his people progresses, opposition will increase. We want it to decrease, right? As we move forward, we want opposition to us, to the church. We want opposition to our testimony, to our faithfulness to God. We want that to decrease. But instead, what we see happening for Nehemiah and the people of God is the opposition increases. Look what he says in verse 6. So we built the wall. And the wall was joined together at half its height. I love that. It's just simple. Opposition comes. They're ridiculing them. You know what they did? They prayed and they built the wall. They just kept trudging along in the work, faithfully following and doing the work that God was calling them to do. There's no better work to engage in than to engage in the work of restoration for the kingdom of God. You see, it says the people had a mind to work. Literally, they had a heart to work. It was, it was burned within them. They were captivated by the big picture They knew they had God's favor granting them success in the the mission of building the wall. But the surrounding nations gathered from the north, from the south, from the east, and the west. They were angry, verses 7 and 8 tells us. But when Sanballat and Tobiah, verse 7, and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were being uh, beginning to be closed. Listen, they were very angry. And they plotted together to fight and to cause confusion in the city in verse 8. You know, there are many examples throughout the history of the church, of the church coming up against opposition and people fighting against the church and wanting to discourage the church. In fact, the last thing that our adversary, Satan himself, wants is for the church to be successful in advancing God's kingdom. And so he prowls about like a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour. He wants to incite discouragement in our lives. He wants to cause us to stop in the work of the gospel, he wants to cause us to be discouraged in our, in our spiritual lives and in, in, in doing the work of ministering to others. He wants us to be discouraged and worn out and he wants us to be tired and he wants us to quit doing the work of advancing the gospel. But notice what Nehemiah does in verse 9. And we prayed to our God and... We set a guard as protection against them day and night. He didn't just say, let's all gather in the temple for a prayer meeting and we'll let God fight this battle. No, he said, we prayed and then we set a guard. The questionable character of uh, Oliver Cromwell was addressing his army during the invasion of Ireland. And he's credited with telling them, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry. One sense, I think that's what Nehemiah is saying here. Let us trust in God. Let's not lose heart. Let's set our heart to this thing. Let's engage in the work. It's like Psalm 127 too. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Right? God is the one who is at work orchestrating and directing and 
and moving us, even Crosspoint Church. Listen, God is the one who is at work in our midst. He is working in our lives. He is doing this work of encouraging us and and building us up. He is doing this work of of gifting us as a congregation to employ our gifts in service to his kingdom that we would advance the kingdom. And so we put our trust in God, and then we set up a guard, and we engage in the work. Let us not slow down. Let us not grow weary and tired. Let us not grow discouraged. The next point I want you to see is the work of restoration cannot be accomplished on our own. This is huge for us to see. In verses 10 through 14, The work of restoration for the Jews involved rebuilding the wall around the city in order to advance God's kingdom. And so Jerusalem would soon be a city where God's people could come and could find refuge in him. The reality was the people were feeling the pressure, though, of the external threats that were coming amongst them. And then there was internal discouragement that kept building up. They began fearing man. Look at verse 14. Nehemiah has to tell them, don't be afraid of them. They began losing trust in God. Verse 10, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble by ourselves. We'll not be able to rebuild the wall. They were listening to the threats of their enemies. Look at verse 12. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times. They had heard what verse 11 is saying. Verse 11, they will not know, the enemies were saying, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Listen, it was a life or death situation, wasn't it? I mean, this is a real threat. They're going to come among them and kill them and stop the work. They were that angry about the work that was going on. I want you to see, unlike the Jews building the walls, the work of the church isn't building physical walls. It could be argued that the church is to tear down walls. The church's mission is to carry the mission of Christ on in the world. It's building the spiritual house of God. And so the church exists to be an outpost of God's heavenly kingdom in a foreign land. And as exiles and foreigners, we are ambassadors for Christ, bringing the life-transforming gospel to the lost world, telling them you don't have to remain in sin. There is hope for eternal life. There is hope through the message of the cross and through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. He is our victor. He has defeated death so that we might not have to suffer the consequences of sin. You see, we're to be about the work of proclaiming the gospel and about the work of discipling the converted. It can be hard work, work that invites opposition and mocking and threats of physical persecution, even acts of physical persecution. But it's a work that God has called us to, and it's a work that God equips us for. You know, what strikes me is that there was less rubble at this point than when they began. They had the wall halfway complete. I mean, half the rubble that was on the ground had been removed and put back on the wall. 
Yet they had grown discouraged in the midst of all the great work that they were doing. Because they began looking around with man's perspective and seeing the difficulty of the task that lay ahead of them. I'm going to speak, just speak for a moment about Crosspoint. I've, I've been here for two and a half years. When I came, we were in the midst of transition. Four years ago, we sent out 60 people from our congregation before I came, and we did a work in replanting a church at Grace Mid-City, that campus, to establish a gospel presence in Mid-City. And I want to caution us that our human perspective doesn't allow us to be discouraged. To think that, well, it's the result of of that work and the church plan and the, the emphasis of replanting the church that has resulted in our congregation being depleted of financial resources. Or I don't want us to be discouraged that we've been we've been uh, depleted of, of even people resources. The reality is we look around and we're half the size that we were five years ago. And we've lost some families, several families that have moved off and taken jobs and we've sent them off. And then we've lost some other families because of disagreement or or disenchantment with the ministry. And there's been some talk and there's been concern and even fear. Fear that's fostered great discouragement in our midst. But I, I want us, I want us to see Nehemiah's response to that discouragement and to that fear. And I don't want us to lose sight of the big picture of the great work that God is doing through Crosspoint and through his church. In verses 13 and 14, he tells them, God is our helper In fact, in verse 90, it said, we pray to our God and we set a guard as protection against them day and night. Let us, church, be faithful to engage in the work that God has called us to. Let us be alert and be vigilant while we're doing it. Verse 13, look at what he did. In the open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears and their bows. You know what they did? They prayed and they took action. Nehemiah Nehemiah brilliantly places them by clans. And and in verse 14, he says to them, Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, and your homes. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember what Isaiah 40 said? See, God is the only one worthy of fear. Don't fear the enemy or his tactics. Don't be discouraged. Don't lose sight of the big picture. Nehemiah is saying here, fight. Fight for your brothers and your sons and your your daughters and your wives and your homes. Fight for that. He was challenging them to have a warrior's mentality. You know why he stations them by clans? Because when they look next to them and see their brothers and their sons and daughters and their wives and their homes at stake, they're going to fight like they never fought before. They are going to fight till 
the death. Can I say I think this is where the church is suffering its greatest casualty today? We don't have a warlike mentality when it comes to living for the gospel. We don't have a warlike mentality when it comes to sticking up for our homes, fighting for our homes, praying for our marriages, praying for our our children, our sons and our daughters, praying for one another, interceding on behalf of one another. We must have a wartime mentality. We must fight for our homes. We must fight with the gospel for our homes, for our marriages, for our sons and daughters, for our brothers and sisters. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Or Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 20, which talks about putting on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And we have this assurance that we read from Romans 8 earlier, that if God is for us, who is against us? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So this morning, I want us to see the reality of Nehemiah's challenge to God's people. That God is our helper and that Christ is our victor. So are we laboring intensely in prayer over our brothers and sisters and in the faith, investing one another's life, investing in one another's lives? Are we laboring in prayer over our children's salvation and their protection in walking with God? And are we working to disciple them in our homes? Spouses, are we laboring in prayer and working to protect and grow our marriages for a healthy display of the gospel in the midst of the world? Are our homes places where Christ is honored and displayed? You see, we must do battle in prayer. We must take action in our walk with Christ to guard against the enemy gaining a foothold in our lives. We do this by being a people of prayer and study over God's word. We do this by living in community with one another. We do this by holding one another accountable and meeting for discipleship. We do this through taking an interest in one another's lives and seeking to encourage one another to grow in Christ. We do this by sharing the hope of Christ in our lives with others. Listen, church, this is advancing the kingdom of God. Finally, this morning, and we'll pick up with this next week. God is faithful to accomplish his work through his people. You know what Nehemiah tells him in verse 20? Our God will fight for us. Work on the wall. Hold the spears and the bows and the swords. Let the others work. Split up. Take shifts there. Do that. Engage in the work. Don't let the enemy's tactics scare you and and, and buffet you back from doing and engaging in the work. 
And if you hear the horn, if you hear the rally cry, come to us, for our God will fight for us. Brothers and sisters in the church, we have one another as a community of faith. We are able to bear one another's burdens as we're unified in the purpose and the mission of taking the gospel to the nations and living out the gospel in our midst. I want to ask you this morning, what is the work God is calling you to? How does it fit in with the big picture of God's work in the midst of his church? How does it fit in with the small groups of Crosspoint? How does it fit in with the larger gathering of the body? We're all participants in the mission of Christ to the world. The question is, is each of us, are we doing our part? Am I doing my part to contribute to the work of God through the church in making the gospel known, in advancing God's kingdom? That's the question I want to leave you with this morning. That's the question I want to challenge you to pray through. Confess before God where he is convicting you and challenging you. And this morning, as we close with a song of praise, I want to encourage you to to confess those things before God so that you might praise him. You might praise him with all that you are, with all that you have, with all that is in you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we know that you are mighty to save. We know, God, that you are faithful to your people. And so we ask you, God, to strengthen our hands for the work. We ask you, Father, to counter the discouragement that even we as a a people tend to to feel when we look around with our human perspective. And and Lord, we ask you to strengthen us for, for the work of advancing your kingdom. And we pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us understanding and discernment and direction of how we are to take your word and apply it into each of our lives and into the corporate body so that we might be, even though a diverse people, a unified people who seek to bring honor and glory to you, who labor together for the fame of your name in this city and among the nations. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.